Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Force Plate Guide podcast presented by myself, Michael Dutro, where we take a look at all things golf and, in particular, the things that, you know, are a little bit more nerdy and uh, gearhead driven. So, with that said, uh, this is my third episode doing this, and I am blown away that people are listening to it, and I cannot thank you enough for the support that I've received from doing this. So, if you're listening, thank you very much. My goal of this podcast is to make it a um, user-friendly, easy way to kind of get a better understanding of what's happening in a particular subject, and I'm trying to uh, demystify, so to speak, some of the, you know, cutting-edge stuff that's going on within the industry right now. So one of those things that I, I generally get asked a lot about, and you might have guessed it given the name of this podcast our force plates and how we use them. And that's a very new technology that's kind of breaking out on the scene. But it's it's nonetheless a real hot topic because, you know, more often than not, it's getting associated with, you know, Bryson DeChambeau and hitting the golf ball farther. So, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about things uh, golf swing related, you'll hear me reference, you know, the external forces we use, whether it be lateral, rotational, torque, you can call it as well, or verticals. Um, that's kind of where I'm going with that. So I always try to kind of explain a little bit about that as I go. But tonight, you know, I don't want to just sit here and hammer away on force plates and things like that because it's kind of a difficult conversation to have with people uh, in a podcast format because the base level of information that people have about it is so low. So it's it's a tough conversation to, to have in a podcast format not one that I'm unwilling to have, just one that is not probably the best for tonight's episode. But what I wanted to talk about tonight has something to do with force plates and launch monitors and, you know, 3D motion capture and all that crazy stuff, which is kind of the difference between teaching and coaching. And I think it's something that, you know, kind of gets called one and the same more often than not. But there's a distinct difference between coaching and teaching, in my opinion. One of the biggest differences is when you're teaching, uh, I feel that you're explaining a new concept or maybe you're revisiting a concept with somebody and you're, you're trying to change the concept in their head. So, you know, it's really more baseline learning, more academia, and we're really trying to understand a concept thoroughly before we try to develop a motor skill around it. And once we get to the motor skill development, in my opinion, that's when we start working more as a coach and helping the player, you know, discover whatever that motor skill is that we're trying to learn. So for somebody who doesn't understand how to create the proper tilts in the golf swing, you know, there, there's a brand new feeling that they're going to have when they hit that golf ball with some tilt if they typically don't have any. So it's important to understand the concept and to get the player to be aware of it and to almost expect it so that when it happens, they can go, yep, right there. I did it. I see coach. That's, that's what we're trying to do. So we don't ever want to, to lead somebody into these things kind of blindly because you don't have to change a whole lot in the golf swing before all of a sudden it feels very foreign. And it seems like we can't find our way back to what worked last. So with that said, I think it's really, really important to kind of understand as a coach, you know, and as a teacher, you know, which hat am I wearing when I'm working with an athlete? 
So a lot of times um, I see coaches, you know, I, I, I try to observe what's going on out there, not only at measured golf, but, you know, outside of measured golf as well. But I've been lucky enough to work at an academy in the past. It was very, very busy. And I've seen a lot of golf lessons in my life that, that weren't taught by myself. And I see coaches kind of bounce back and forth between the, the teaching part and the coaching part. And, you know, it, it gets, I don't want to say muddy, um, but it does tend to be a little bit more confusing uh, to the to the athlete or the student that the coach is working with at the time. And the reason I think that is because, you know, we kind of do a, a good job of, hey, here's the concept we're going to work on today. Here's what I want to see change. If you're working with like a launch monitor, you know, you can reference certain numbers and you can talk about those things. But we, we, we almost kind of stop short of explaining the entire concept and, and what needs to change in terms of, you know, anatomy and what needs to change in terms of feels. And we go, OK, now we, we kind of understand what we're talking about. Right. And, you know, everybody nods their head. And then we just kind of go back into coaching and trying to get them to do it. Well, now it's not working. So now let's revisit the concept and now let's try it again. And it, it's, it's almost like a kind of, you know, hold your breath until it happens kind of thing. And I think that it's just very frustrating as the end user or the student or the athlete in that situation, kind of, you know, Hey, just tell me the whole story. Tell me what to expect. Tell me when to expect it and tell me what I'm going to feel. And then let me try to do it. And then we can go back and revisit it. So I, I understand that the athlete's frustration there. And it's easy to, to do. I mean, it's so easy. You know, there's not, um, there's probably not a ton of coaches who are using more technology than myself during a golf lesson. So, uh, if you've never worked with me before, uh, I've got the, the smart to move 3D dual force plates that are, uh, made by Kistler. Uh, I'm using those every golf lesson. Um, I don't typically show a ton of that information to students, but I do have them running. Uh, so it's, it's definitely going. I've got TrackMan running. We're an indoor facility in the wintertime, so we have to have it running so a student can see ball flight and what have you. But uh, I've got TrackMan. I've got force plates. <laughs> Excuse me. And then I also have uh, some really basic motion capture stuff going with the hack motion 3d wrist sensor. So we're measuring a whole lot of things in this golf lesson. And I've literally got three screens I'm kind of looking at while I teach. And it's very easy for me to kind of get lost in the information and, and want to bounce around and, Oh, this is interesting here. And this is interesting there. But for me, as, as the person trying to help that athlete play better golf, I have to kind of take a look at it figure out what's causing the biggest issue and then attack that. And it's really important that we solve that because a lot of times when we take on the big thing and we change the big thing, what we see is that all the little things kind of fall in line. And all of a sudden the student becomes much more consistent and they hit the ball better and they're very happy and they leave the golf lesson feeling accomplished, which I think is very, very important. I do not subscribe to the idea that you have to get significantly worse before you get better. I'm not saying that you won't hit a couple of loose golf shots after a change that has some, some pretty severe magnitude to it. But at the same time, you should pretty quickly start seeing, you know, more or less the future, which is way better golf shots. And they're actually shaping the way we want and they're hitting the peak we want to see them hit. And they're performing really well once they find their target. So, 
are we going to be able to do that every single time? Probably not in the beginning because we've got some motor skill development to do and we've got to have our brain rewire our body via neurological pathways. So I think, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, the lesson's going and you see some kind of frustration set in with the student. They're not able to do what you want them to do. And I think as a, as a young coach, I always would make the mistake of feeling like they were frustrated at me. And then I would try harder and then I would speak more and I would tell them more information. And I'd really, you know, I just almost push them off the edge. And, you know, by the end of it, I'm like trying to calm them down. Well, I'm the one that amped them up by telling them all this information and making them feel like they can't do anything right. Now the ball is not flying very good. So now they really feel doomed. So I created that situation often as a young coach. And to this day, I'm always kind of yelling at myself inside of my head to be more concise, to get to the point and to kind of get out of the way and let some self-discovery happen during the golf lesson. So with that being said, you know, it's easy to overload the, the athlete or the student with all this information, but we really got to get better at understanding the information we're looking at. So, you know, like I said, I've got three screens going. So I've got one with all the track band data. I've got one going with all the force plate data and I've got one going with the wrist uh, data. And I will be perfectly honest with you, I am not the best at reading graphs. So a lot of times I, there's a few key checkpoints during the lesson that I'm looking at on the force plate data. There's a few key checkpoints that I'm looking at on the hack motion data. And then I'm primarily kind of looking at the track man data and seeing where the club was in space and time and kind of getting an idea of, okay, this is how they deliver the club. And then we kind of piece it together based off the anatomy screen that we do with the athletes. So creating the right matchups. So once we, once we kind of look at those few key data points, I have a pretty good idea of what I want to kind of work at with that athlete. And we tend to focus on that. And a lot of times the amazing thing, and the thing that's really been so great about working with Mike Adams and Terry Rolls and EA Tischler and the Bioswing Dynamics team is that a lot of times, you know, we can knock that thing out within an hour. I'm not saying the, the change is permanent and is going to stick forever, but we've at least got the concept understood and we're at least able to do it uh, at least once. So now the body believes that they can do it and now we can start seeing a change happen. So, you know, is there time in the lesson to work on some other things? Of course. But where I would make a mistake as a coach uh, that was younger is I would try to move on to the next thing. And, and I was very aware that the athlete or student wasn't, you know, in total control of the new change. However, I knew that they could do it. So I wanted to go ahead and do more. And I call it kind of entertaining myself, right? Like I have all this information in my head and I want to show the student how smart and how knowledgeable I am. I really want to help them. So more can't be bad, right? Well, in my case, it was. So we would get the first chunk knocked out. Then we would go into the second chunk and then sometimes the third chunk. And what would happen is they would come back and they would be really confused because they forgot and lost sight of the big thing that we were trying to change. And instead, we're working on the smaller things that we had worked on towards the end of the lesson. So it wasn't really working in the athlete's favor the way I was teaching. So, you know, learning from that and, and being open to understanding that I'm constantly growing, just like the students that I work with, you know, now let's say we knock out that big thing in 30 minutes and we've got, you know, another 20 minutes to go. I might say, hey, how do you feel about that? That feels pretty good. Okay, great. So now how's your pitching? How's your chipping? How's your putting? 
And, you know, we might go work on that for a little bit. Or, you know, in the summer months when we're at our outdoor facility at Lake Forest Golf Club, you know, hey, let's go play a couple holes real quick and see how this works on the golf course. And I think that that's a way better, uh, way better time spent is actually getting it and putting it into practice and seeing how it holds up under pressure. So I would encourage anybody who uh, might be listening that's a, a coach or whatever to, to really kind of pick and choose your spots to where you want to attack a golf swing. Because I'm on I'm on record as, as telling people that, you know, coach and measure golf and all these things, this all the time, which is, you know, it's it's really easy to overcoach. Um, it's, it's really easy. And it's also really easy to take away what looks really bad on video, uh, you know, kind of the big wish of the student. Well, you know, if I could just stop doing this over the top, then I'd be thrilled. But what that student doesn't realize, if I take that away and don't replace it, they're not going to be able to hit the golf ball because generally the things that we see in a golf swing that make it quote unquote not pretty are those, it's really the athleticism of the athletes showing up and allowing them to even hit the ball. So we got to be really careful about just looking at things on a camera and saying, well, this looks odd and I don't like it. So now I'm going to change it because a lot of times, um, you know, especially during the video era, you know, when everything was kind of based off, filming and looking at everything through a camera and trying to make it look like a model, you know, during that era, it was all about uniformity. And if you think about more of the current player, what the PGA Tour currently looks like, we're starting to see some swings that on camera just look really funny. You know, Matt Wolf comes to mind. I always get the question about Matt Wolf, and he has really long arms and he's really cover and he has a ton of external shoulder rotation. So, you know, he takes it way outside, keeps his right hand on top, and then he really rotates that ex or that sh uh, trail shoulder externally on the way down and shallows it out and just hammers the thing. So I just think it's really important to understand that just because it looks good doesn't mean it functions well. So keeping that in mind, I think, is always important in a lesson. And, you know, it's happened. I I'm not going to lie. There's been more than once to where I've, I've had somebody show up for a golf lesson and I go down and they're hitting it great and everything looks wonderful and, you know, the matchups are there that we want to see and, and they're just, you know, Hey, you know, I, I just don't feel like, you know, I don't like this move. I was looking at it on video and I just, I, I hate it. And I go, well, how's the ball flying? Well, the ball's flying great. How are you playing? Well, I'm playing great. Okay. Well, why do you want to make this change? Well, it looks bad. Well, why? You know, that's, that's always my question is what makes it look bad. And generally that follow up question to a stylistic question, um, really doesn't get a doesn't get an answer and the reason for that is because generally it's just something that that doesn't look like a tour player that they like or you know whatever the case may be and i've always felt and i know that a lot of the really smart people in the industry like terry rolls mike adams and uh andrew park and a lot of these guys they, they feel the same that it's you know it's kind of a monkey see monkey do business you know whoever's had the most success recently you'll see the tour guys start to mimic it you know, and then that works its way to the club level golfer and, and everybody else. So, you know, there for a while, I was seeing a lot of people that were trying to take the club way outside and drop it way under and didn't have enough external shoulder rotation to pull it off. And man, they didn't hit it very well. But then you see some guys go to the top and try to take it more steep and, you know, put a lot of bow in the left wrist or a lot of flexion, depending on what you want to call it, like a Dustin Johnson, because he's had tremendous success doing that. And it doesn't work very well for them either. So, 
I think it's important not necessarily try to copy a move, but I think it's important to understand what your anatomy is capable of and then, you know, solidifying the vision of your swing based off your matchups and kind of, you know, owning it, so to speak. So, you know, I, I work with a lot of juniors, uh, a lot of good juniors, and I'm sure you remember being young, just like I remember being young, but you're really just kind of doing everything you can to get through every day and fit in. And the junior golfers are really, really susceptible to, you know, a lot of that chatter about, well, your swing doesn't look right, da-da-da-da-da, and their friend says something, and now we're insecure, and now that kid beats them, and maybe that kid's right. You know, there's, there's a lot of that going on at the junior levels, and it's, it's really important in my opinion, to educate these young people as well as adults, but right now these young people on why their golf swing looks the way it does. And, you know, it makes them a lot more confident about what their swing looks like and how they're going to be able to perform. And I've seen that that play out a bunch of times, you know, developing juniors over the years to where they get in these little groups that they like to practice in and then all their golf swings start looking the same. Well, why is that? Well, they're golfers just like me and you, and they practice together, and they talk about their golf swing and what they're working on their lesson, and, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. I think I'm going to try that. And then the next thing you know, they all kind of look the same. So it's important to maintain the individuality of the golf swing because it's at, at core level, it's always going to be based off the anatomy of the person swinging the golf club. So they're always going to be unique. So... I guess I just want all golf swings to look like snowflakes and all be unique and individual and all that. So I'm not saying that there aren't patterns that emerge because there certainly are, but we have to understand that there is variability within the pattern. So now that we've kind of, you know, talked about what golf swings, you know, kind of look like and should look like and shouldn't look like and all that fun stuff, it's, it's really, it, it boils down, in my opinion, to, you know, having the ability to work with the player to understand, you know, some of this and what's going on. And, um, you know, how do they how do they interpret their golf swing? And, you know, it's it's more often than not there. I always say golf swings. There's no loyalty to them. And the reason I say that is, is I've worked with a, a bunch of players who, you know, they come in and they're let's say they're not hitting it very well. And. You know, you spend 10, 15 minutes with them and you get them back on track if it's somebody you've been working with before. And, you know, let's say they've striped, you know, five, six, seven in a row. You know, you keep going, hey, we've striped 10, 15 in a row. This is great. Okay. And then all of a sudden there's a misfire. But what I do, you know, that's the first thing they say. And I go, well, it's probably just a mistake. And then they fire again and it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And they miss on what I do. And it's, there's this constant, you know, mistrust of the swing and every time we see a shot that doesn't have the outcome that we desired it's like oh my god i gotta totally change my swing this thing is broken and we have to understand as human beings that we're very very sloppy um, in terms of how we're created and made and we're very inconsistent and we're, we're gonna make mistakes you know humans make error and uh it's important to understand that, you know, you can have a great golf swing and you can, you know, have the timing that day and everything's great. You're still not going to hit every shot perfect. And the biggest thing that I see uh, with coaching and practice and uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, you know, with, with coaching and teaching is that the teachers really 
kind of lead the practice um, development and ideas and strategies up to the player. And the coaches tend to really focus on how to develop it and how to put drills in place and all of that fun stuff to maintain it. So I think it's important that, you know, when we're practicing that there is some kind of tangible feedback other than did the golf ball go where I wanted it to go. So there's, you know, a, a whole variety of, of different, you know, range programs that are coming online like Trackman Range. Uh, and then there's Top Tracer and there's a, a few others. And, you know, they're, they're giving the, the golfer feedback. And I think this is great. Now we're not getting any club data, but we are getting some ball data. But, you know, I think it's important to kind of really own your matchups and to have a great understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, there's a, a buzzword in golf right now called intent. And, uh, you know, I think that's important. I think you should be practicing with intent. So I want this ball to curve slightly left to right and I want it to land within this window and it's got to have, you know, a mid trajectory. So that's that's a pretty mindful golf shot there. We, we have a shape, we have a trajectory, and we have a target. So, you know, we've kind of got three things we're working on there at once, but that's kind of how we play golf. So I think it's really key and critical to, you know, during a practice session, take some videos. Or if you have access to a mirror while you practice, I think that's great. But I think you should be kind of watching yourself and seeing, does this look the way it's supposed to look? Am I getting my swing linkage to be where it should? Am I maintaining my post throughout my swing? How's my grip looking? There's a million things that we can do pre-swing that are really going to lend success to the golf swing. And I see it more often than not. I see golfers really meticulously checking their backswing, you know, when they're rehearsing. But then I see them just kind of walk up to the golf ball and hit it and not pay any attention to their aim or setup. So I always make the analogy we could go on safari and I can give you the best gun in the world, but if you can't aim, you're not going to be able to take down a trophy. So we really, you know, have to be aware that human beings don't do the best job of aligning themselves to the target and they're not very consistent with it. And then they make a golf swing and they're aimed, let's say 10 degrees to the right and the ball misses the green, you know, pin high right. And now all of a sudden they're blaming the golf swing when in reality they just weren't aimed very well. So I think that the reason that we've seen so much transitioning from a straight teaching to more of a coaching model within golf development is because the, the research bears it. You know, the, the whole idea of perfect practice makes perfect golf, you know, that idea has kind of been put to bed finally. And I think what we need to see more of is we need to see creative uh, practice programming put together that allows the golfer to experiment and to have variability within the practice because at the end of the day, when we get on the golf course, you know, there's a lot of problem solving required to play your best golf. And without having the variability uh, to adapt to those situations, it's going to become very, very difficult to play your best golf. So, you know, when it comes to the whole, well, uh, you know, block practice versus variable practice versus on course, um, I think you need a mix. So, I love block practice. I, I have a lot of students do a lot of it, but that's mostly when we're in the motor skill development process and early on and, and we're, we're doing it a lot. So, you know, we're trying to get that brain to rewire the body, so to speak. And we want those new neurological pathways to, to get built quickly and strongly. 
with a Mayan sheath around them so that they, they stick, you know, that's the muscle memory part of it. So how do we do that? Well, we do that through repetition and block practice. So, you know, block practice, I think is great. However, I still think it needs intent. So I don't think we should just be sitting there hammering out a large bucket of balls as quickly as possible. So, you know, block practice is a good or a bad thing. I think it depends and I think it has a place. So the variability practice I love, and it's something that I almost never see. And a lot of it has to do with the way that, the, you know, driving ranges are, um, it's just kind of the whole way it's structured really. And it's, it's kind of almost off putting to like be bouncing around clubs and teeing some up and but you can literally play golf on the driving range that so you know what your home course looks like and you know, the shots you got to hit and you literally can play that in your, in your head, so to speak. And Hey, my fairway's here and it's between this and this and, you know, you can hit a drive off the first tee and all sorts of good things. So I think it's important to bounce around club to club. I think it's important to try different shots. I think it's really important to, to get some obstacles and, and really make the variability difficult because, you know, how do we know how to play that shot if we've never practiced it before? And the golf course isn't always going to give us that flat lie where the ball is sitting up and everything's perfect. So I think the, the, variabil- the variability and your practice should be there. And I think it's really something that I don't see a lot of. So if I was going to say that there's one thing to add to your practice uh, that's really going to pay dividends, I would say bounce around that bag a little bit, play a little more golf on the driving range, and uh, spend some more time trying to hit wedges really close, not just kind of close. So, you know, we kind of took a turn there and, and got into practice a little bit, but that's okay. That's kind of the fun thing about this podcast. I don't have a a time window or anything like that to, to kind of stick to. So sometimes I wander. So hopefully uh, that was enough on topic to where it doesn't seem like too bad of a tangent, but I, I, I think there's a lot of different, um, I think there's a lot of different styles out there. You know, I think that the best coaches, the guys that I look up to so much, you know, they're, they're good at wearing several different hats. And I listened to a podcast today with Terry Rolls and uh, Frank Nabilo, and they were talking about a lot of this stuff, and, and that's kind of why I'm, I'm kind of bringing it up, because I, I think with the, so much of what they said was brilliant, and if you haven't seen it, um, you can definitely check it out um, on Terry Rolls' Instagram. I know he puts them up there. I thought it was just a, a really great conversation with Frank, and um, Terry's kind of doing these leading up to the next Ultimate Golf Lesson Seminar, or Winter Workshop, I think they're calling it, and uh, if you're you're a young coach uh, listening to this or you're uh, just a golfer who wants to have a better understanding, I can't recommend the ultimate golf lesson enough. So, um, you know, they, they talked a lot about the teaching and coaching aspects to it. And I think Terry uh, can definitely be as technical as you want to be. But I think Terry also has the ability to be a fantastic coach. And I just think that they're completely different skills. And. I, I think you got to have, you know, some of both. And I think there's other human skills that you have to have. You have to be a great listener and you have to have empathy. And you, there's a lot of soft skills that go into helping somebody play better golf, because as Terry said, uh, you know, people tend to be pretty sensitive and, you know, they're asking for help and you're telling them what to do and you're a professional and now they can't do it. They feel really frustrated. So I think it's important to have some of those soft skills and to uh, not be afraid to use them, um, you know, so 
I know we all want to we all want to talk about the cool stuff and golf and the sexy stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, having having a simple message that you're able to deliver is crucial, and then helping the player kind of believe it until or fake it until they make it, so to speak, um, until they feel confident in the ability to execute that and have seen themselves do it a couple of times, and now they believe it's a reality. So um, I think it's great. So anyway, that is uh, our time for tonight. I certainly appreciate everybody listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe. We're going to, or I keep trying to say we, I'm going to keep trying to put a couple of these out a week. If you have any feedback whatsoever or would like to hear me talk about a particular subject, you can always reach out to me at the force plate guy on Instagram, or you can check out uh, where I teach at measured golf, a two on Instagram. So once again, make sure to subscribe and like, and let me know your comments until next time. Keep grinding.